Grace and peace, you're listening to United We Pray. Taking racial struggles to the throne of grace, United We Pray is a podcast devoted to prayer about racial strife, especially between Christians. We want to help Christians think better about race in a way that is biblical, beneficial, and clear. Friends, we want to be helpful and hopeful in our work. You can find more about it at youwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com, where you can find articles, episodes, and more. How you doing, Isaac? Woo! Good to be here with you, man. Uh, I'm traveling to North Carolina soon. Not to see you, though I wish I was. Uh, so, I don't know. Just saying being with you, it made me think of being with you, even though I'm not going to be with you. So, how are you? That is sad. I'm doing all right. I am I think I'm less sleep deprived than I was last time. My daughter, so my wife is a wizard and my daughter is now sleeping. Mm. Like a lot. Praise God. That That's amazing. Yes. Game changer. Mm. Well, you know, so we're open. I mean, that's just a praise. So I will praise God for that at the beginning of this episode. But also, I just want to keep, I want to keep just opening with prayer and a scripture. And one I was thinking about uh, is just the greatest commandment. So I'm preaching. One of the reasons I'm going to North Carolina is to do this conference on race. And I'm preaching the Sunday service on Ephesians 4, unity in the church, which is just the whole passage is just incredible. But it reminded me thinking about God's God's unity, where Paul's saying there's one 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 Lord, one God. It reminded me of the Lord saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, right? In Exodus. And then we see it repeated on Jesus' lips. And it just reminded me of these words from Jesus when he's talking about the greatest command. And he says, this is Matthew 22, and he says, uh, one of the Pharisees asked him, trying to stump him, teacher, which is the great, which is the great commandment in the law. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. And I think one thing we're often addressing in these episodes, Austin, is our minds. So in a book I read recently um, by Oz Guinness called Fit Bodies, Fat Minds, Why Evangelicals Can't Think and What to Do About It. Very Oz. I need to read this book. Yes, man. It's old, but it's really, really good and could have been written yesterday. But he just talks about the sin and the scandal of evangelicals not loving the Lord with their minds, with our minds. And so uh, I think we're going to address some of that. But let me pray for God's help that he would help us in doing as much. We'll get started. Father, we do thank you that we do thank you for rest. Uh, we thank you that we lay down and wake up because you sustain us. And sometimes we get to lay down for longer times than others. So as young parents, Father, we praise you for rest. Uh, Father, we also praise you for the ability to love you with our minds. We pray that we would do so faithfully. Uh, we pray that this episode would help us all do that better. In Jesus' name, amen. So Austin, this episode's on critical race theory, CRT, and you just wrote a series on it. And what I want to know is why did you write that series? Yeah. Why'd you let me? I, I don't know. I mean, you're... no, I'll answer your question. <laughs> you had the keys, you stole the car out of the driveway and you, you know, went crazy. So what happened? It's a topic that's been around for a while. Uh, I think it was three years ago. Um, the denomination that we're in, the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, passed a resolution on critical race theory, which basically said this is uh, philosophy that's out there. And we need to be careful with it, but we need to we can learn from its insights. Right. And I think that uh, resolution, when it was put out, caught a lot of people off guard. People weren't really aware 
of this thing called CRT or critical race theory. But I think since then, a lot more people have become aware of it. And in the conservative, you know, largely white evangelical church, uh, it's become something of a boogeyman. And it's something that, you know, blogs are written about and podcasts are recorded about how dangerous this thing is that's infiltrating the church. Meanwhile, there are other people who seem really excited about it and some Christians who are really excited about it. And it's there's just a lot of confusion about how to reconcile those two things. Are people who are excited about it, you know, have they abandoned the Bible? And are other people just unloving bigots? You know, there's it's just a lot of noise. And so what I wanted to do was put out a series at the 100 level, not trying to explore anything at the, at the master's or doctor level, just an introduction of what is this? How do we think about it? What do we need to be careful of? And what can it teach us? And so, and, and I appreciate it because it is just so complicated, but two things to highlight just even in your answer. So, I mean, obviously it's risen to the level of a national conversation, but just to be clear, you were writing your series long before President Trump ever mentioned anything uh, about CRT, uh, though, in God's sovereignty, uh, you're... you're that was crazy timing. I had been working on this for months and I had just put the first one out. And the day after we published the first of a four part series, the president released an executive order denouncing right. critical race theory. Right. So, so there's that. And then there's the, the, the next question that I think a lot of people then ask is what is critical race theory? You have an interesting, interesting answer to that. Do you want to, do you want to take it from there? Well, I hope I don't have a completely unique answer for that, but I think it is uh, different than the way a lot of Christians are answering it. Because if you if you ask most Christians who have engaged critical race theory at some level what it is, what they will give you as a definition are a series of propositions. They will they will give you a series of truths, of assertions and say this is what critical race theory teaches. And I I think that's not a super helpful way of defining it because I think it's more of a method. And if you let critical race theorists define what they're doing, um, I'll read a quote here from Richard Delgado and uh, Jean Stefancic, uh, who say that CRT is a collection of activists and scholars engaged in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism, and power. The movement considers many of the same issues that the conventional civil rights and ethnic studies discourses take up, but places them in a broader perspective that includes economics, history, setting, group and self-interest. So that sounds more methodological than propositional. And I think that distinction is really important because if you're talking about what it teaches in terms of its truth claims, you're going to get a lot of different answers depending on who's doing the critical race theory, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So I think what you're saying, if so to make sure I'm understanding what you're saying then, is it's an extremely diverse field and different critical race theorists are going to be making different propositions. And what you're saying, what you're talking about is more of the method of it rather than I think you said in the in the piece, a statement of faith listing, this is exactly what this is. Yeah, I think that's right. And that's your you're helpfully distilling what I've said, because I've my, read that's my ministry in your life, Austin. That's your ministry. Yes. It's nice to have the roles reversed, isn't it? Um, <laughs> cheap shot. Uh, so, I, I mean, I've, I've read a ton of this stuff. And if you ask me, you know, come up with a, a list of 10 things that all critical race theorists believe, mm. I don't think I could do it. And that's the way we as Christians like to operate. We would like to define a field of study by what it believes, what it teaches, because um, mm. that's how we operate. That's that's how the Bible teaches us to 
you know, to work. It's what we get in the scriptures in some sense. And we can just, you know, commit all kinds of category errors if we try to apply that same approach to critical race theory. Got it. Got it. So post one, the first post, you kind of lay out that framework of, uh, well, and I guess you make, you make the distinction then of saying it's not as simple as saying, Hey, we need to, we, we need to be really careful. Uh, or, or I guess the distinction you make is not just treating this as, Hey, completely disregard or completely accept. Right. That's right. I think that's the way a lot of Christians end up working through it because they they think, okay, I either need to look at this claim and see if this claim is true or not. Trouble is, within a field like CRT, there are hmm. millions of claims, some of them even contradictory, um, as in a diverse field you will, you will get. And some of those claims are true, and some of them are not. And so we need to exercise Christian discernment and use the scriptures as our only infallible guide. And there's stuff we can learn. Uh, there's ways we as Christians can be corrected, uh, blind spots that many of us, especially white evangelicals, have that uh, we should let critical theorists point out to us, and we don't have to accept the bad. So that's where you go in that second post then, stuff we can learn. What would it be? There are a couple of different categories of things we can learn. I, I think there's helpful things in terms of uh, critical theorists calling uh folks in the majority culture to examine their own biases, think of ways that we think things are just normal, which are actually, they have, you know, a cultural uh, mm. tilt to them. So things that I think are normal, which are actually, you know, normal for white folks that I can then expect of or impose on black brothers and sisters or minority brothers and sisters in a church setting. That's a helpful insight. And that's something I'm going to get if I spend much time reading the work of critical theorists. But the other major category is history. And I think that's probably the area I would say I found most helpful in reading the work of critical theorists. They have a, a pretty un... Uh, what's... I, I don't even know what I'd say the word. They don't have any narrative they're trying mm -hmm. to protect. They don't have as a starting place, like, America is the best country ever. Now let's look at its history. They say, let's, let's look at what happened. Um, and what you get when you start there is, I think... It doesn't make us feel as good, but probably get a better reflection of history doing it that way. Hmm. Okay, so the, so those are some things uh, that can be pointed out. But here, Austin, aren't a lot of folks then asking, but can't my, I suppose, you know, not the Bible's commentary on history. It doesn't say it's not exhaustive in that sense. It doesn't comment on everything. But I guess, how, how are you wrestling then with the question of, uh, do I do I need this to point that out? Because then people are saying, isn't the common retort, well, that's extra biblical, or uh, not extra biblical, but sola scriptura. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, at one level, do you need this? No. Uh, the only the only resource we need is is the scripture and the Holy Spirit's help in interpreting it. Now, a lot of uh, all of us use mm. other things as well. And the error I think many of us as Christians can fall into is that we will sort of selectively exclude other resources. And depending on what we include, we will then get a biased view of reality, a false view of reality. And so Christians who are clear to guard their biblical worldview, that that's a great instinct. I only want to affirm that. But Christians who want to banish all talk, all mention of CRT from their lives, uh, don't replace it with nothing. Oftentimes they will replace it with conservative political commentary, uh, you know, the, the 
podcasts of their choice, all of that. And what that ends up doing is shaping a worldview that mm. has blind spots, mm. as all of us have. And so CRT can serve as a helpful corrective for folks who have only been having one portion of a large conversation for a long time. So that's that. So that's that second post. Uh, then you move on to your third post and you say, I guess, I guess, walk me through some of those claims and then how you respond to them. Yeah. So just to name that framework that I put out. So if the way a lot of this flows in terms of its its organization is that if step one is gather the facts, step two is interpret the facts and step three is propose solutions. So what happened? What does it mean? What do we do about it? If that's step one, two, and three, as I've read critical theory, I think step one has been the most helpful. Step two, less so. Step three, not so much. Got it. And so things to watch out for. I just used the example. Uh, Derek Bell wrote a very famous book, Faces at the Bottom of the Well, does some historical work about the treatment of black folks in America. And that portion of it is super hard to read, partially because it's so mm. accurate um, in just outlining the ways in which black people have been treated so poorly in this country. And that's helpful history for white folks to stare in the face and just really look at, yes, it was that bad. Okay. Step two is he looks at that and says, what this teaches us is that racism is in everything, affects everything, will never get better, is never going anywhere, and any progress that we think we see is really a sham built into the mm -hmm. system. And that's where we as Christians just have to say, well, you know, yeah, racism is really bad. It's as bad as you're saying. It might actually be worse than you're saying. Uh, also, mm -hmm. Jesus is alive. And because he reigns, mm -hmm. racism doesn't. And God can change people's hearts and God can bring down any wall at any time. And God can change cultures so and systems. We so, can, God yeah. can, exactly, exactly. So that's where we can be helped by a writer like Bell in learning more about our history and why that has society ordered in the way that it is. We just need to depart from him as he talks about, you know, his interpretations, his solution. Hmm, okay. All right. So that, so then, that, and then I'll let folks just check out uh, post three for the set. For, I know you interact with another claim, uh, but then take me on to post four, which are, which is kind of going to be, okay, hey, see your diagnosis, can't get on with the kind of prognosis. So you kind of laid it out at the beginning, but then you come back to it, how we can interact then. And where'd you try to land the plane? Yeah. So I think I, tried to frame it in terms of how you should interact. And it could be argued that that's, you know, framing the, the solution unfairly and saying that it, it presumes that we should interact with it. And I think, yes, I'm doing that, guilty, because I think it's not going anywhere, as I said. This is uh, the way the world thinks, by and large. And if you're going to have conversations about this, even in the church, and especially outside of the church, you're going to bump into critical theory at some level, whether that is terms that have their roots in critical theory or, you know, a full-blown crit, as they call themselves, uh, on a college campus, perhaps. So you can't get away from it. How do you interact with it? Um, and yeah, I, I've listed six reasons or six ways to, to engage. Don't be lazy. Don't try to be the language police. Don't be unfair. Um, there's, there's any number of ways. Is there any one of those that you wanted to explore at more depth? I'm sure you probably don't want to go into all of them. No, no, no. Well, I mean, maybe you want to give me that. I appreciate you laying that out. Maybe you want to give me one of them 
And I would even say, give me one of them positively. Uh, okay, so don't don't squash conversations. Encourage conversations. So some folks who think they're helping protect the theological integrity of the church walk around like the language police. And anytime they hear somebody say white privilege or systemic racism, they will jump in and say, no, no, you can't say that. You're doing a Marxism. You need to stop. And what that has the effect of doing is squashing conversation before there's even a chance to understand each other's terms. Because not everybody uses the terms in the same way. Not everybody who uses the term white privilege or systemic racism is a full-fledged critical theorist. These terms have been out there for many years. They are used by many people in many different ways. So one way to be an agent of unity in this conversation, in these conversations, is to ask questions like, what, what do you mean by that? Mm. Help me understand you. And draw out conversations and rather than trying to stomp them out because you, you're afraid of the terminology. Well, bro, first of all, thank you for sitting in the hot seat for these last 20 minutes. The roles have been reversed and I've been pelting you with questions, so thank you. But more so, thank you for your work in doing this because you've done something that uh, folks, I think, should recognize. Easy reading is hard writing often. Uh, and even if folks don't even agree necessarily with the things you've said, um, you've put it on the shelf, on the kind of bottom shelf. And I mean, the, the amount of ink that has been spilled over this issue and how complex it can be. And I see why people spend a long time writing about it because it is that complex. Uh, brother, I want to commend you because I know you've read books on books on books in preparation for this, holding it up in light to the book. So I only want to commend you for that, man. Just to put a bow on it, I don't care whether Christians read a bunch of critical theory or not. Like I've got stacks of textbooks sitting on my bookshelf behind me, and it is not my goal in writing these articles that a bunch of Christians go out and buy all these textbooks right. and read all this critical theory. Uh, some may read some, some may be helped by it. What I don't want is for it to be this kind of cheap and easy parachute out of hard conversations that Christians can just pull and when confronted with a hard conversation or a term they don't like, go, oh, that's just critical theory and the conversation's over. And so what I hope to do was show it's, it's more nuanced than that and let's keep talking, let's keep having these conversations, let's keep going to the Bible uh, and let's keep praying together. No, I appreciate that. And, and maybe to tweak something you said, or to lean on it, I think you do care whether or not people read it insofar as I hear what you're saying is you're not trying to give this a full-blown endorsement saying people should go read it. But you did say in the post, and one of them, like, yeah, I'm not giving this stuff to a new Christian, being like, hey, you know, have a, have a sharp mind about it and the Holy Spirit will help you, right? Yeah, that's right. So anytime you've got a book about hard stuff in the world written by non-Christians, you want to handle that with care when you're dealing with right. a new Christian or a poorly taught or young Christian, right? You're not, that's, that's, that's not unique to critical race theory. Right. Yeah, that's right. That just puts it in, in yeah. the broader categories. Yeah. No, that's right. That's right. And, and I think sometimes Christians can, I think sometimes evangelicals go to non-Christian things and act surprised that they're not Christian, <laughs> you know? Um, but to your, to the point you brought up, because it, it, it dovetails to something that we've talked about, and this is the point I would make, is while it is right to guard the truth, right, and especially for pastors and the preserving nature of the pastor's office, that is guarding the flock, that's no small part of a pastor's God-given mandate. So only there for that. And Christians, uh, Ephesians 4 even talks about that's what we do with one another, 
and speaking the truth in love. Um, I just, it is just such an impulse, it seems to me, in evangelicals to critique without positively putting forward, um, to, to, to critique first and just simply to, to be distracted with that on some level, um, to be just kind of reactive in that sense. And instead of saying, uh, it's kind of like what Kevin Smith said, like, if you don't like it, put forward a different model. Now we do that in preaching the gospel, teaching it faithfully. Uh, but what I'm saying, Austin, is that, um, Martin Luther King, he, he had, he had a ton of critics, right? Uh, and not a few of them evangelicals and fundamentalists. And what I'm saying is I fear that this could easily become just something that distracts, uh, and takes up a lot of attention when, uh, the, the problem of racism is still out there to be addressed. Do you see what I'm saying? And we can get consumed with talking about how we're talking about that problem rather than going after that issue. One reaction is to say that Christians are of our tribes. You know, we, we, we are selectively discerning. So Christians who might jump up and down and denounce critical theory as being, you know, a godless ideology uh, and secular influence on the church uh, will turn on Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson on their ride home from that conversation, right? So who, for those of you who don't know, are non-Christians who speak on cultural and political matters, uh, very popular among certain evangelical circles. So why do some things get a pass and why do some things not? Uh, I don't think anything should get a totally free pass. I want to, I want to evaluate everything by the standard of Scripture. And uh, the more voices we hear from in that, the more we might be surprised by our own blind spots, right? Proverbs eighteen seventeen: the first to state his case seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. There's clearly stuff to critique, as you did, but it's easy to just, hey, I'm going to critique, 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 and not, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so that's my second point, which is while we want to be discerning, while there's much in critical race theory that we need to critique and we need to guard from coming into the church and into our theology, there's also some humility in recognizing that critical race theory exists in large part because Christians were not having these conversations, especially white Christians were not having these conversations 50, 75 years ago when critical race theory was being developed and growing in popularity. And now that a lot of white Christians are having conversations about race and we don't like the terms that have developed in the time when white Christians weren't terribly interested in this, now we're jumping in demanding all new terms and saying we want this to happen in you know a specific way. And I don't think that's going to work. I don't think we should take that approach. I think we should have some humility and we can have discernment at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, if we're going to have humility, if we're going to have discernment, we're going to need help. Uh, these are not things we just gin up within ourselves. Uh, so man, uh, I think we should pray about these matters. Anything else on this you want to say, man? I'll just say that I have prayed more about this episode and about these articles than anything mm. we've ever done. I am very aware of the the noise around these conversations, around the potential for disunity. And I'm not doing this to try and throw rocks or start fires or anything like that. I genuinely want there to be more conversation mm. and more understanding. And if anything I've said or written uh, does not serve that point, forgive me and reach out to us. Amen. I know. Well, brother, let me, uh, why don't I open us in prayer? You've been talking, uh, and then you can close us. Father, uh, as my brother has just said, we want to be helpful and humble 
and we need your help for that, Lord. Your people need your help, uh, Father, to not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, uh, Father, but to believe the truth, uh, Father, and to walk in the truth. Uh, Father, help us to do so with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Uh, help us to do so faithfully. Help us to do so with our Bible in our hands, uh, Father, and help us to do so appropriately. Uh, Father, cause us to not be distracted uh, and cause us to not be deceived. And it's really hard to get that balance right. Uh, Father, we pray uh, that people would not be deceived in any in any direction, uh, Father, uh, in accepting this too much and in pushing it away too quickly, Lord. And yet, Lord, we also pray that folks wouldn't be distracted, uh, that we wouldn't walk past our neighbor as we uh, have our face in our phone uh, or in some book, uh, but that we would stop and help our neighbor. Uh, Father, give us eyes to see those opportunities and then give us the unction to pursue them. Uh, Father, we pray uh, for Austin, Lord, we pray that you would encourage him and bless his writing uh, and help him, Lord, in it. Father, we pray uh, that we would uh, take every confidence in your word. Uh, We thank you for your word. We know it is living and active, that is sharp, that is uh, like fire uh, and a hammer of heaven, Lord. And so we praise you for it. Uh, Father, we pray um, that uh, we would be humble and hearing hard things about ourselves and seeing the warts in the mirrors and father that the humility would lead us to repentance uh, we know that the pattern of the christian life is suffering than glory and so insofar as we need to suffer some things or hearing some things help us lord that we might enjoy the glory of loving our neighbor the glory of being united in christ uh, the glory of glorifying you in all our love and good works stir us up to those things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Father, as Isaac said, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us to figure out our world and the complicated realities around us with just what we can come up with on our own. Thank you that you've given us your perfect, inerrant, infallible word as our guide through all of these complicated matters. Lord, we pray that you would make each of us discerning um, likes Brian's examining things by your word to see if they're true, Lord, and humble like Abraham, who, when confronted by a non-believer uh, over his sin, uh, repented. And so, Lord, we pray that we would have humility, that we would have discernment, that we would have kindness, graciousness with each other, that we wouldn't uh, try to stomp out conversations before they happen, but that we would be concerned to encourage and nurture and to build up in your word according to your word Lord all of this is uh, for your glory we want your church to be more unified we want hard conversations to be had and to be had well uh, and we want your people to display a unity that doesn't exist anywhere else Lord we want all of the work we're doing to serve those ends Um, And so we pray that it would. 
In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Friends, thank you for joining us. Uh, like Austin said at the beginning, you can head to youwepray.com. You can see this series. Uh, you can see other articles we're putting out. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the sixth season that just got started. You can see our last episode, uh, Should I Leave My White Church? You can hear some encouraging stuff in the teaser. Uh, we'll leave you there. Sign up for our emails if you haven't gotten them. Uh, uh, you can get more information about all the stuff we're up to by God's grace. Reach out to us at contact at youwepray.com. Grace and peace.